Father, we didn't have to ask you. We didn't have to earn it. Father, you chose to do it as a sovereign act of your will. To send the Lord Jesus, Father, to live and die on the earth and to shed his blood so that those who receive it can have all of their sins washed away. Father, we stand before you clean by the blood of Jesus. We stand before you, Father, washed in the blood of Jesus. And when you see us, Father, you see us washed in the blood. Father, you don't see people with errors and mistakes and sins. You, you see people who are washed in the blood, made clean. And so, Father, we thank you. We worship you because you chose to do that for us. We thank you, Father, that you chose to extend your mercy to us. Father, we thank you that your mercy extended beyond even the washing away of our sins. It extended into the healing of our bodies, Father, the renewing of our minds, Father, the strengthening of our spirits. We thank you, Father, that all that you provided was given to us, Father, because you're such a merciful and kind God. And so, Father, we choose to worship you. We choose to thank you, Father, because of these things. And Lord, we give you all praise and honor for them. We lift up the name of the Most High God. We thank you for them, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Is the Lord good? We appreciate his goodness and kindness. Amen. You know, he's been good to us. And, um, you know, we're thankful that nobody earned uh, the rights to be washed in the blood of Jesus. He chose to do that when he looked out into the realms of eternity and realized that uh, the problem of sin needed to be dealt with, then he had a plan, amen? And his plan was to send the Lord Jesus. And, and um, if you look at the whole counsel of God, we understand that sin was not the motivating factor to send the Lord Jesus, amen? The motivating factor to send the Lord Jesus was to get his spirit on the inside of mankind. And to accomplish that task, he needed to deal with the, with the subject of sin, which he did by the blood of Jesus, but he also needed to deal with all of the, the uh, uh, parts of redemption. So to adopt us was part of redemption, to heal our bodies was, was part of redemption. All of these things uh, were part of the redemptive act, but the, the best part, the most important part of redemption was to have the Spirit of God dwell on the inside of us. Uh, and so uh, to that end, then he did all of these other things by sending Jesus and, and um, preparing. If you look at the life of the Lord Jesus, you know, he was here and he, he said he didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law, and he did. If you go back in the Old Covenant, look at the, uh, the sacrificial uh, goats and lambs and what they were for and how they were supposed to be sacrificed. He, all of those things were types and shadows of what he actually did on the cross which to me, you would think that every Jewish person in the world would look at that and go, that's amazing, right? We should follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. And they'll argue about all these things, you know, and, uh, and uh, uh, it's, uh, I don't know, you think any intelligent person would, would um, uh, follow the, the Lord Jesus, amen? Well, praise God. Well, today we start a new, uh, a new era, right? Uh, we finished up uh, Dr. Lillian B. Yeoman's books last week. Um, uh, and um, His Healing Power, which was uh, a compilation of four of her books that she wrote when she was alive. And, of course, she was alive about 100 years or so ago. And uh, she was a medical doctor that had uh, gotten addicted to morphine and other uh, uh, strong uh, narcotics and nearly, di nearly died uh, trying to find the deliverance from it. She found, finally found the deliverance uh, through the Lord Jesus and uh, spent the rest of her life preaching about the healing power of God and, uh, and then writing those books for our benefit. And so we're thankful for those things. Amen. And so, um, you know, years ago, the Lord, uh, I believe he just impressed on my heart to go back and, and uh, find some of these great uh, books uh, rela related to healing and use those as a study guide. You know, we don't, we don't believe them 100% just because they were written by our forefathers. And we'll look at each of them individually, and, and um, if there's a, a few things, and there's been a few things that uh, every book, I think, except for, well, in fact, including Brother Hagin's book, which I, uh, I'm not sure that he wrote those particular words, so a couple of things that we had to correct, because I've never heard him say those things, and so sometimes the editors, you know, he never wrote any of his books, he had editors, right, and so sometimes 
as an editor, you would let things slip in there that you believe, right? But not necessarily what, uh, what uh, your, uh, the person that you're editing them for believes. But anyway, so, um, so, we, uh, so we don't believe them just because somebody wrote them, amen? We, we take what is said and we make sure it lines up with the Word of God. But the, th the value in us doing that is we get to see the revelation that the Lord has given to these other people, amen? Uh, and, um, you know, the Lord has, has anointed and blessed other men and women of God over the years with great revelation in relation to, in, in this case, the topic of healing. And so it's to our advantage to add that revelation to our lives, amen? If we think that we should, get, we should only get revelation from the Spirit of God directly by, uh, by our own works, then if you think about that mentality, and people have had that mentality, then that, then that says that there's no need for the ministry gifts to be in the church. If I can get everything I need by myself, then I don't need a pastor, I don't need a prophet, I don't need an evangelist or apostle or, or teacher. I can get everything on my own. Well, if that's true, then the Lord was in error of establishing and setting up the church the way that he did. Uh, he did it uh, incorrectly. And so if you feel like you need to instruct the Lord Jesus as the head of the church and how he decided to run the church, uh, let me know how that works out for you, right? And so <laughs> I, on the other hand, uh, see how the Lord established the church. I think, well, that's a, that's a great idea because he set it up that way. So let's go find out how he's anointed people to, uh, with information that can be valuable to our lives. Amen. Uh, are they uh, all these authors perfect? Well, they're surely not perfect, uh, but they are valuable to us. Amen. And so we're going to start uh, with a new book, and the book is titled Bodily Healing and, and the Atonement. And it was written by a fellow by the name of Dr. T.J. McCrossan. And um, I think there may be a, a, some introduction at the beginning of that book. Um, but he wrote the book uh, nearly a hundred years ago. The third edition was published in 1930. Uh, and Dr. was, was a, uh, he was a Presbyterian minister for many years and established a large Presbyterian church. And uh, like a lot of Christians whose hearts are open to the Lord, they'll, they'll get, they, they slip right into uh, Pentecost. Amen. Um, because if you love the Lord, you're always wanting to have everything that he provided for us. Uh, and, uh, and it's hard not to slip into the full Pentecostal experience, if that's true. And, of course, he did. And then was invited to no longer be a Presbyterian, as that as happens so often, right? <laughs> and so he, he then got connected with, a, with another minister by the name of Charles Price. And, uh, of course, Charles Price was, was, a, was a well-known minister at that time, back in the... Uh, early 1900s uh, in the Pentecostal area, and they ministered together for many years. Uh, it, Dr. McCrossin was a teacher of Hebrew and Greek uh, at, um, uh, at one of the uh, universities, and so he was well-versed in, in those two languages. Uh, and, and so, you know, I'm, I am neither a Hebrew nor a Greek scholar, so I depend on other people uh, for that value, amen? Uh, and in this book, of course, you'll find that he has a lot to say, more so about the Greek language than, than the Hebrew language. We'll talk a little bit about that as we go along there. And in fact, uh, this particular book, Brother Hagen loved this book and actually uh, contacted the family and uh, re, uh, reprinted it uh, with, with a slightly uh, different format uh, back when, uh, I think back in the 80s, uh, through uh, his publishing firm. Uh, this copy is uh, from the original uh, book itself there. Uh, and so uh, just there's two things that I wanted to mention before we get started in there. One is uh, Dr. McCrossin does talk a little bit about uh, the Bible translation called the Septuagint. And um, we know just, uh, you know, general knowledge in the Christian world that the New Testament is written primarily in Greek and uh, the Old Testament was written primarily in, in the Hebrew language. Uh, but uh, there is an Old Testament translation that was translated in the Greek, uh, and, uh, and it's called the Septuagint. And, uh, you know, like a lot of things, uh, Moses lived about 3,500 years ago. So we have no original uh, records of the original parchments and scrolls that Moses actually wrote down, right? We have no, uh, it's been 3,500 years ago. Those have been long lost to history and probably consumed by all the moths and, and things because the, the material they used were, were natural materials, right? Uh, leather and, and, 
uh, I don't even know if they had parchment back then. Of course, Moses did write the Ten Commandments on the two tablets. Those are probably still around, but uh, those, uh, uh, those two tablets were located and housed in the Ark of the Covenant. And I hear, you know, I hear rumors that they have found the Ark of the Covenant. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the Ark of the Covenant, according to the movie, is in that big warehouse somewhere, right? That the United <laughs> States government has it somewhere, right? I don't know if that's true or not either. But uh, um, so those may still be around. But the original uh, documents that Moses, because Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, right? So he wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, and so those five books are at least 3,500 years old. So we don't have any of those. So, you know, everything we have, both of the original, uh, both of the New Testament and Old Testament books, we don't have any of the original documents. What we do have is many, many copies. And uh, in fact, there's thousands of fragments of these things. Uh, and um, in spite of there being many, many copies, they agree within 99% of each other. You know, they may have some minor uh, differences on occasion, but uh, it's, a, it's a, an amazing uh, testament to uh, how important the Word of God has been for people to protect those multiple copies over the years. Uh, and even the, the Jewish uh, writers, when they would make copies, you know, if you wanted a copy of the Bible, they said, hang on, I'll be right back. And they would go and handwrite a copy of, of the scriptures. Uh, and uh, even in, in the, the um, tradition of the Old Covenant, when the Jewish scribes would, would make another copy of the Old Testament, when they would get to, to the Lord's name in the Old Covenant, they would stop and they would go clean. They would go take a bath and go clean themselves and then come back before they would write the name of God uh, in, uh, in the Old Covenant. And so if you get into certain, in certain books where it mentions the name of the Lord a lot, that's a lot of cleaning, right? Uh, and so, you know, there, there was such a, a, an awe uh, and uh, importance placed upon the Word of God that they were very careful in making those copies. And so... Uh, so the Septuagint is a Greek copy of the Old Covenant. And, uh, and so I'm not going to go into a lot, a lot of detail about it. I'll just give you some, a little bit of background about it. As far as we know, uh, and like a lot of things, you know, the, the, we just have what is somewhat of a legend. Is it true? Well, we don't know all the details because uh, there, there is no uh, archive from, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago. Uh, but as far as we know, this Greek copy of the Old Covenant was, was made about uh, 300 years before Jesus was on the earth. Uh, and, and the legend goes that uh, there were six, uh, six uh, scholars from each of the 12 tribes of Israel that was brought together for the, uh, the Library of Alexandria, and uh, they were instructed to translate the Hebrew Old Covenant, Old Testament books, into Greek to add to the Alexandria Library. Uh, and so, is that true? You know, we don't really know, right? Uh, and so, so what's, the, what's the value, though, uh, of this? Well, you know, some people, of course, uh, even today, some people are really, really picky about uh, only, King James only. Anybody know anybody who's a King James only kind of Christian, right? And they say, well, you know, if the King James was good enough for Paul and Jesus, it's good enough for us, right? <laughs> Uh, which is funny because uh, when was the King James translation written? Anybody know? 1611, right? So it's 1,611 years after Jesus was born on the earth. So what did Jesus actually actually use? Well, the, the uh, people who know such things said that more than likely Jesus and all the apostles quoted from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Covenant, because uh, in the time of Jesus, they were under Roman rule, and the, the language, the prevailing language at that time was the Greek language. So it would have been likely for them to have quoted from the Septuagint, uh, the, old, the Greek old, old Covenant. Uh, is that true? To me, it just doesn't matter, right? I mean, people can argue about it, but it seems likely that that's the case. Uh, and so, so the value in that is, since that's such an old, uh, hundreds of years older than any of the New Testament books, it does help us to understand uh, sometimes certain Hebrew words that, you know, uh, the Hebrew language was, was confined to only one small country, right? Only to Israel. It wasn't a well-known language, uh, whereas the Greek language was spoken through much of the civilized world at that time there, when Rome was, uh, was an empire. Uh, and so uh, when you can have a Greek word from a particular verse 
that you can look up and compare it to the Hebrew word, it, it gives you some insight because uh, that was a lot closer to, even though it was still a thousand years after Moses was around or so, it still, uh, still gives them an insight of what those, uh, some of those Hebrew words meant. Because some, sometimes there's a Hebrew word that's only used one time. And, and the context of that verse doesn't really tell you what that word means. So, so like, you know, for example, in Job, it talks about the Leviathan. Well, I mean, it, it, it sounds like a dinosaur, right? It sounds like a, some giant, but it's just a word. It's a Hebrew word that really nobody knows what it means. But in the context, it, well, it's probably something scary. I mean, but it may not be. It could have been, you know, a, a buffalo for all we know, right? Uh, and so there, there's a few things like that in the Hebrew language that people just don't know what they mean, right? And that's why um, I've got a, a large collection of, of uh, Bible translations. And for the most part, you'll read a verse every translation would be the exactly the same, right? And intents and purpose would be exactly the same. But then you get some verses where it's a, a large uh, difference between all the translations. Uh, and that's because, uh, usually it's because the original word, the original language is not well understood. They just don't know what it means. I mean, if you went to somebody uh, in a completely foreign country and just said red, well, they would have no idea what that means, right? Uh, and if, that's, if they had no context of red meant a color, uh, but still that wouldn't tell them anything, you'd have to say, well, it's the same color as the sky at night. You know, if they didn't have that context of what you were saying, then the word red has no meaning to them. So, uh, so he does spend, Dr. McCrossett does spend quite a bit of time talking about the, uh, the Old Testament, the Greek Old Testament, because he's making a comparison to show how the same words are used throughout the, the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, from a Greek standpoint. Uh, and so <clears throat> there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. The Septuagint is, is an okay translation. There's some areas of it that are, are, are a little bit suspicious because it seems uh, like the, the translation was made over a longer period of time than they originally thought, maybe even uh, over two or 300 years that the whole thing was made. And so there's, there's some portions of it that are very close to the Hebrew translation, and some things are, are pretty... Are pretty different, and so you know it's to our advantage to look at uh, multiple translations and to see uh, what these things look like and how they mean. And, and uh, you can generally get a pretty good sense for what the scriptures are trying to get across by doing something like that. And so, so you'll see that word a lot that he mentions the Septuagint, and it's not a well-known, you know, in much of the church that uh, most people don't know what the Septuagint is, uh, but it, it is in, it does come in handy. Um, and so he does talk a lot about it. I've got. Uh, several copies of the Septuagint on my computer that I can go back and look up. And he does mention some things, and I do cross-reference, go back and double-check that when he says, well, this word's used X number of times, I'll go back and check because he had to go read the entire thing to find out if that was so. I can just type in a couple things in my computer and, and you know, it's done, right? So, so uh, I'm not going to spend my whole life rereading the New Testament every, or the Old Testament every time I want to confirm the number of times a word is used. Uh, but... Um, he didn't have that advantage in 1930, right? And so there were no computers in 1930. So, um, so that, so I just want to bring that up there to you uh, about that. You know, I know around here, uh, you know, we're not really hung up on on uh, King James only uh, because it just, uh, you know, it just doesn't make any sense, right? I'm not going to argue and fuss and fight about it. It just doesn't make any sense, right? Uh, and so, <clears throat> um, uh, in fact, uh, if you look up. Uh, I don't have it with me here, but if you look up in the uh, King James, in the original King James translation, if you look up the beginning of it, they have an introduction to the translation. Uh, they quote uh, St. Augustine, who lived in the, in, in the uh, around, what, 600 or so A.D., uh, uh, maybe even a little bit before then, I think maybe even 300 A.D. or so. But St. Augustine made a quote that says that, that it's helpful to, to use multiple translations to get the sense of the Scripture. And that's a little bit of a paraphrase, but that's what he was saying. And the King James translators uh, referenced that quote and said that multiple translations are to our advantage to look at to get the sense of what the scriptures are saying. Well, if the King James translator said that, then it, it should be okay to look at multiple translations. If, if the translator said that, but then people say it's the only one. Well, they, even the translators didn't say it was the only one. So, uh, you know, people, of course... Uh, People who say things like that, they're not really stu uh, students of the word. You know, they just like to find something to argue about, I suppose. But, um, and so, 
Now, the, the, the title of the book is Bodily Healing and Atonement. And so <clears throat> um, he wrote this book in the, in the uh, I think the original uh, edition was made in the early uh, 1920s. You know, at that time frame, uh, uh, it's, like, it's like every generation has to deal with certain things, right? But at that time frame, there was a big push really to intellectualize the church and, and to essentially remove all the supernatural out of the church, especially Pentecostal ideas, especially healing, uh, the supernatural aspects of God, and just make us really a social organization. Uh, and so a lot of famous writers were writing things about how healing is not for us today, and, uh, and they would just say things, uh, and they would use fancy words, and they would use fancy ideas. Uh, and, and so a lot, of, a lot of the reason why Dr. McCrossin wrote this book is in response to a lot of the ideas that God's done away with healing, and to, to answer some of these uh, well-known ministers that were espousing things that just were not true, that God has done away with healing. And so it's really written from that standpoint to, to uh, the, uh, I think I mentioned here that uh, uh, the genre of this book is biblical apologetics, which is just a, a way to defend uh, what, uh, uh, where people are trying to do away with certain aspects and doctrines of the Word of God. Uh, and so uh, when you read that, you know, you can tell he's making a case that this is so regardless of what other people have said, that other people have said this, and here's why what they said is of no value, right? And, and he'll, uh, you know, and it's really, uh, since he's such a scholar at the, the original languages, you know, he, he really uh, puts them to shame because they'll, they'll say things and they'll make statements that are just, you know, if you just pull the covers back a little bit, you say, that doesn't make any sense, uh, right? And, and so uh, he, he does a good job of explaining why the statement that God doesn't heal anymore, uh, and they'll maybe even sometimes give scriptural references of why that's so, and, and he shows why using that verse doesn't make any sense for this reason, and, and so he'll pull out Greek and Hebrew, and, uh, uh, and in, in regards to that, you know, he pulls out a lot of verb tenses and, and things like that. You know, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to uh, be a Greek scholar. You don't have to go look that up. Uh, basically, uh, my, my uh, way of reading this is I have full confidence that if he says that it's a present tense, aorist, whatever, 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 uh, tense of the Greek verb, okay, I believe you. you know, I'm not going to doubt him. I'm not going to go back and look it up. Uh, but I do look at what he says in relation to that, and, then that, and that's really what the important thing is. Uh, and so you don't have to decide to become a Greek scholar. If you do, that's fine, right? Uh, and, so, and then one, one last point related to that, uh, of course, the title of the book is Bodily Healing and the Atonement. Uh, and the intent of it is to say that healing was part of the work of the cross. Um, and so, you know, the word of atonement, you know, even that word of atonement, that's not really a New Testament word. It is used one time. It wasn't translated well in the New Testament. But the, the word atonement is really an Old Testament uh, doctrine because atonement means a covering. And so when they would, uh, when the Day of Atonement would come, remember, they would take... Uh, take the, the blood of the bull or the goat and they would, they would cover the, uh, uh, the mercy seat on, on the Ark of the Covenant and they would atone for the sins of Israel. But uh, we're not atoned. We're redeemed, right? So, so uh, you, just, you, know, you cover those sins so they can't be seen, but they're still there. So that's not us, right? We're not atoned. We're redeemed. So you know, it's a, it's a minor, it's a minor distinction uh, there, uh, but, you know, it's, it's important in the sense that we need to remember that, that we as Christians are not atoned. We as Christians have been redeemed, amen? Now, the, the sin that we were in before has been removed from us, so it's not just covered, it's been removed entirely, amen? We are new creatures in Christ, uh, and so, so it's, a, it's a small uh, comment there, uh, but I also think it's important. It doesn't really do uh, take anything away from, from his writings there. Uh, but, um, but I just want to make sure we get off on the right foot. Amen. So uh, uh, I think it'd be good to do that. So he wrote this book to kind of counteract a lot of the uh, intellectualism that was going on in the church at that time. Uh, and so, so he, he starts the book out with uh, the very first question. says, you know, how did sickness enter uh, into this world? And it's really a great way to start it because uh, <clears throat> surely every, every single scholar, whether they really believe in healing or not, 
would say that sickness was not part of creation, right? That God didn't create cancer right along with the, the buffaloes, amen? Uh, and, and surely people would, would believe that. You know, if somebody doesn't believe that, then, you know, I'd have to wonder about them. Because uh, the earth was intended to be a reflection of what heaven was like. Uh, and uh, surely every scholar in the world would believe that there's no sickness in heaven. Uh, and so, uh, because a lot of sickness, not all sickness, but a lot of sickness is due to a twisting or a, a failing of our DNA. Well, then that would mean God would have designed uh, humanity with uh, a failure in our DNA. And surely that, that's not the case, right? And so let, let's turn over to Romans chapter 5 and we'll get started there. Uh, and so the thing I do like about uh, uh, Dr. McCrossin's book is uh, he doesn't just pontificate and say a bunch of things. He says, here's what the verse, here's a verse, and here's what it says, and here's why this is valuable to us. And so that's, that's one reason why I think uh, Brother Hagen liked this particular book because it's just word-based, amen? Let's find out what the Word says, and let's go with what the Word says. Um, and that's really a good, uh, a good uh, way to live uh, is to always uh, take what you believe and ask yourself, is this based on Scripture, right? Uh, is there any book, chapter, and verse for this uh, mentality? And if there's not, then you should, you should change and go with what the Word says. So the question is, how did sickness enter to the world? He starts out with Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. It says, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world? Well, who was the one man? Adam, right? Notice it doesn't say, wherefore is by one woman sin entered into the world? So who, who was the one who allowed sin into the world? It was Adam, right? And so all the women could say amen, right? Uh, it, it was not Eve's fault that sin entered in the world. It was Adam's fault that sin entered the world. He was the, he was the authority at that point in time. He should have not allowed that to happen. You know, he should have uh, told Eve to run away. Uh, and, uh, and he chose not to do it. And so because of that, sin entered, entered into the world and what was the result of that sin? And death by sin. Amen. And so death passed to all men for all have sinned. Uh, and so uh, physical death and all that produces are, are a direct result of sin. Amen. Uh, so before the fall, there was no sin into the world. Uh, and if there was no sin in the world, then there was no death in the world. So if there's no death in the world, uh, Adam and Eve would have been alive today if they hadn't sinned. Uh, and so that's, you know, I mean, back to Adam and Eve, that's about 6,000 years ago. They'd be 6,000 years old today. Amen. Uh, and, and, you know, and if they invited uh, Doris to the birthday party, she would, she would make them a card with 6,000 candles on it, you know. And, and so she'd still be writing, drawing candles on her birthday card uh, if she went to Adam and Eve's birthday, right? Uh, and so, so, uh, so then you, you back up from then. So uh, if, if, uh, uh, if death came about because of sin, then, okay, then, then where did sin come from? Uh, and so then he backs up to, uh, to back to the book of Genesis, right? Uh, and so we'll just turn back to the book of Genesis and we'll look at some things here. So it's, it's you know, this is a good way to study the word. Uh, you know, and I would encourage you as you study the word, one of the things that I do, and I think most uh, people that study the word do this, is ask a lot of questions, right? Uh, so that's a good question. You know, where, where did, or how did sickness get into the world? Um, and if people say, well, God created it, well, that doesn't make any sense, right? Because God would have had to create a failure uh, in the world. He didn't create a failure into the world. Uh, God cannot make a failure. And so, so, uh, so the Lord, <clears throat> this is in Genesis chapter 2. So uh, the Lord is, uh, let's start in verse 15. It says, and the Lord took the man, took Adam, right? And put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou shalt eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. <clears throat> and the very next verse it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the, ma that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. So now this is important because verse 18, what is the Lord, uh, who, or who is the Lord talking about in verse 18? It's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make him a helpmeet for him. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Eve in, in verse 18. So does Eve exist in verse 17? 
Now, Eve does not exist in verse 17. So when the Lord commanded Adam to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, was Eve there to hear it? No, only Adam was there to hear it. So only Adam heard the commandment to not eat of the tree. Uh, and, and, of course, that's kind of important because uh, <clears throat> later on, you know, we'll find out what happened there. Uh, but when the Lord said uh, to Adam, for in the day, at the end of verse 17, for in the day that thou shalt eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And uh, again, people that are, are Hebrew scholars, and I've got a, a footnote in my Bible here, it says, dying thou shalt die. Uh, and so what the Lord was saying, that when you eat of it, you're going to die, and eventually you're going to die again. Well, <clears throat> what does that mean? Well, if you look at what actually happened to Adam and Eve, um, you remember after they ate of, a, ate of the tree, suddenly they realized that they, uh, they were naked, right? And they were ashamed and they hid from the Lord. Well, they weren't that way before they ate it. So they became sin conscious uh, after they ate of the tree. Uh, and uh, how long did they live after they, uh, after they ate of the tree? How old was Adam when he died? About 930 years or so, right? So he was not about 930 years old. So uh, what happened as soon as he rebelled against the Lord by disobeying him, he died spiritually. So in dying, thou shalt surely die. So he died spiritually then. And then 930 years later, he died physically. Or it wasn't uh, 930 years later, but when he, when he arrived at 930 years old, he died. So it took, it took that sin and death 930 total years to kill Adam's body, even though you know, uh, he would be alive with us today, right? Because sin, because death entered after the sin. So there was no death prior to the sin entering the world. So Adam would have been alive today if he hadn't sinned. Uh, so, so does that mean Adam and Eve are in hell? I don't, I don't believe so because I think they believed in the Messiah that was to come. Uh, when you get to chapter three, the Lord talks about here's what's going to happen. Uh, and, uh, and because of that, you know, Adam then named Eve uh, you know, she was just the woman uh, before then, uh, but then he named her Eve after the Lord uh, told him everything that was going to happen with the Messiah that was to come, uh, and he called her the mother of all living, uh, and the, the ultimately talking about the Lord Jesus, right? That he was that she was going to be the mother eventually of the Lord Jesus, uh, and so I, you know, my opinion is that uh, they didn't end up in hell because they still believed in the Messiah to come. Everybody in the Old Covenant that believed in the Messiah to come, including Abraham and Moses and everybody else, uh, are now in heaven uh, because of their belief in the future Messiah. They, they were in heaven before the, the cross, uh, but they were in that, uh, the holding place of Abraham's bosom uh, prior to the cross because they believed in the Messiah was to come. Once he came and, and he was able to do the work in their life, then they could receive him and be born again and be qualified to go to heaven. And so don't make up any weird doctrine that Adam and Eve are in hell and, you know, I don't believe it, I don't believe it at all. Because they made a mistake here. They didn't really forsake the Lord. Uh, you know, just as a, as a small, uh, as a small uh, uh, side note here, you know, the Lord said, uh, you can eat of every tree. Well, what was the other uh, well-known tree in the Garden of Eden besides the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? The tree of life, right? So there were two named trees in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, is there any scripture that the Lord told Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of life? No, we know they didn't because later on the Lord says, I'm going to throw them out of Eve so they don't eat of the tree of, knowledge, eat of, the tree of life uh, and stay the way they are. And so we know they never ate of the tree of life, which to me is odd. Uh, why, why, didn't they, why didn't they eat of that? They had two named trees, uh, and they ate of the one, uh, but they didn't eat of the other one, uh, and why not? Well, that's, that's a, a, uh, uh, a mystery right there, right, why, why they didn't do it. I've got some opinions about what that tree represents, but it's really just my opinion in those things. And so, so th this, was the, uh, this was the warning to, uh, to Adam, right? And so at that, when, he, when he warned Adam in uh, chapter 2, verse 17, Eve didn't exist. Uh, there was no sin in the world. There was no death in the world. There's no sickness and disease in the world. Uh, and so how, how did this get in here? So let's, let's go to uh, chapter 3 here. So it's good to kind of start at the very beginning to find out the source of these things. How do these things get into the world? And, you know, if you look at, you know, Christianity to me is amazing because all of these stories make sense, right? Uh, they're not some weird, you know, if you go to other, other religions, 
they have things like, well, the earth is, is sitting on top of four turtles held up by, by 16 elephants. And they'll have pictures, you know, of drawings of the earth sitting on four turtles and 16 elephants, and that's how the earth is, it's like, well, that's just gobbledygook made up stuff, right? Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, there's nothing like that uh, in the scriptures. You know, there's some stories that, you know, will make your head spin, uh, but it all uh, makes sense as a whole. And so here we have, uh, so then he starts talking about, uh, Dr. Uh, McCrossan talks about uh, the fall here, and I think it's helpful just to go through a little bit of, of this discussion. So it says in verse, uh, verse 1 of Genesis chapter 3, now at this point in time, Eve exists, right? So the Lord created, uh, created Adam uh, out of, uh, uh, out of uh, one of, uh, created Eve, out of uh, one of Adam's ribs there. And so, of course, he created Adam from the dust of the earth, and then he created Eve from one of Adam's uh, ribs. Uh, and so it says uh, in verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast in the field which the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman, uh, notice he went to the woman first. Well, well, why did he go to the woman and not to the man? Uh, well, first of all, uh, Adam was the authority. And so it's rare that the, that the devil will go and attack the authority in a situation. He'll go and attack somebody who's close to the authority. And so, you know, he, he's, because uh, it says he's subtle, right? He's wily. He's, he's, uh, he's wise. And so uh, he's going to go to the second level. Amen. Uh, and so sometimes he'll attack the, the, the main authority, but oftentimes he'll try to do, you know, an, an end run around that. Uh, and he says, Yea, hath God said. So what is the devil attacking? What's the first thing he attacks? The word of God, right? Uh, he, didn't, he didn't say, you know, Eve, it's perfectly fine for you to, to, to do these things. He, didn't, uh, he does later on and kind of uh, works on her pride there. Uh, but uh, first thing he did was attack the word of God. Well, uh, well what, did, uh, uh, what did he do with Jesus? You know, he said, it, it, uh, of course, he said it is written many times, but Jesus also said it is written. So that every time the, the devil would say things, uh, Jesus would come back with, it is written, because even the devil, when he was talking with Jesus, tried to, uh, tried to get him to, uh, or tried to twist the word of God in relation to tempting Jesus. And so he said here, yea, hath God said. So nothing's changed. He's going to try to, the, 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 the biggest, uh, the, uh, the biggest uh, concern that the devil has in a Christian's life is a Christian who knows the word of God. Uh, and knows it correctly, right? Because it says, Hath God said, You should not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto him, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the trees which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat it. And what's, what's the next thing she said? Neither shall you what? Touch it, touch it lest you die. Well, we read of verse 17. Did, did God say, Don't touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He didn't say that. So she kind of knew the, what Adam said. She kind of knew what the Word of God said. But she, didn't have, she, wasn't, she wasn't accurate in that. Uh, and, and that's a point for the church today uh, because oftentimes the church is not accurate in the knowledge of the Word of God. They kind of, you know, say things like, well, you know, the Bible says God will, put, God will not put more on you than you can bear. Well, does the Bible actually say those words? It never says, it says that at all, right? They, they pull some scriptures out of, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and, and twist it to this, say something that it doesn't say at all. And the Bible actually says God will not allow you to, uh, to uh, uh, well, we'll just, we'll just, we're just going to read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, right? Because uh, it's not God won't put things on you more than you can bear. <clears throat> uh, he says, uh, well, actually, I guess it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says in verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but as such as a common demand. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. But with, with all temptation, also make a way of escape, that, he may be, that you may be able to bear it. So uh, it, God's not putting on you anything, right? He's constraining the temptation of the devil. So the devil, you know, uh, if, if somebody wants to be tempted, well, you know, that's up to them. But even, even though they, they want to be tempted because of their strong desires, I'm not going to allow you to tempt them beyond their ability to withstand the temptation. 
So the Lord's not putting anything on you. He's not putting the temptation on you. He's not sicking the devil on you. He's restraining the devil in your life, even, uh, even with your own desires that may be not even lining up with the Word of God. And even if your desires don't line up with the Word of God, He's never going to allow those desires to be so, so strong or, or the temptation to be so strong that you are unable to withstand that temptation. Uh, and that's, so that's what he's saying. So, but when people say God will not put on you more than you can bear, that's not what the Bible says. Because first of all, uh, what did Jesus say in Mark 11? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is what? Light. So uh, to say that God's going to put on you just, uh, you know, uh, right up to the edge of you bearing it, well, that would be a heavy load, uh, even though you can bear it, but it, it's right at the edge. Well, that would be really heavy. Amen. If it's, if it's what you can bear, but just barely, well, that would be a heavy load. Well, the Lord doesn't give you a heavy load. And so uh, it's, it's, a, uh, uh, it's an unjust statement that says that God will do those things because he never said those things. And so it's important for the church to be accurate in what does the word say. Amen. To be accurate in exact, well, exactly what did God say. And so it's helpful to know those things, right? And so when you start doing things like saying, well, God said don't eat of it and don't touch it, well, now, see, the devil's got you. Because now he goes, okay, you don't really know what was said. But she could have gone back and asked Adam, you know, and, and, and my, my, my theory is Adam was aware of this conversation going on and, and uh, was kind of being a snake in the grass himself and seeing, well, let's see, let's see if she died, right? Now, I don't really know, but, but I'm suspicious that he knew what was going on here. Uh, and so, uh, so she got it wrong. God didn't say that. And so... Uh, then the devil, then the devil uh, attacks her directly and says, uh, and the, the serpent said on the woman in verse 4, you shall not surely die. Well, first of all, uh, you know, when the Lord told Adam, uh, in dying thou shalt die, you know, you wonder, did he even know what that meant? Because there was no, there was no history of death in the earth at this time. There was no examples of death at all in the earth. So did he even know what that meant? Uh, you know, did, when, when the Lord said, you're going to die, just, did he really understand what that fully meant? And maybe he did, maybe he didn't, I don't know. Uh, but it's interesting that, uh, that uh, the devil says, you shall, sh- you shall not surely die. Now, the, when the Lord told Adam, in dying thou shalt die, you know, the physical death didn't happen for hundreds of years. So when Eve ate of the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil, she did not immediately die physically. And so, you know, the devil is using that knowledge, that nuance of the Lord explaining these things to Adam to his advantage. See, she didn't die. And, and Adam's like, well, she didn't die. I guess the devil's right. Uh, and, and, of course, how many times people done that, you know, uh, they, they know what the Word of God says, but then they go try some sin out and, and lightning doesn't strike immediately. Oh, it must be okay. And they know it's wrong. But they, you know, they just say, well, let's see if I die immediately. Well, that's, that's, you know, you want to roll the dice that way? Don't live that way, right? Don't live with rolling the dice and seeing if it works. Uh, if the Lord said don't do it, then just, then, then just don't do it. Uh, and then he goes on, of course, through the whole process there. Uh, uh, Adam eats of the tree, and then you get down to verse uh, 14, and, and the Lord starts um, uh, meeting out the judgment, right, that's going to occur because of that. Lord, and the Lord said unto the serpent, uh, well, in fact, um, uh, back up in verse 11, I think it's helpful to, to uh, read this part. It says, and he said, who told you, he's talking to Adam, who told you that, that, that you were naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest uh, to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And so here's the first finger pointed in the scriptures, right? Uh, and, and, you know, the thing about this is, uh, what's, what's Adam doing? He's trying to excuse his sin. Uh, and so the question for us is, the very first time somebody tried to make an excuse for their sin, did it work out for them? Did the Lord say, oh, well, then, okay, sorry I said anything, you know, we'll just let it slide. Did the Lord do that? No, so you think he's going to excuse your sin? Well, Lord, I couldn't help it. Because isn't that what Adam's saying? I couldn't help it. The, the, the woman that you gave me, Right? I love that you gave me. So, so not only is he blaming the woman, who else is he blaming? He's blaming the Lord, right? It's your fault, Lord. 
uh, uh, if you hadn't given me this woman, I would have never done this. Uh, and so, uh, you know, th this is the first, you know, example of this right here. Well, you know, it's, it's their fault. That's why I'm sinning. Uh, and so who did the Lord go to? Now, did he say, uh, okay, well, you're fine. No, he just stopped right there. And, and, and you know, so, so, you know, the Lord is really wise. Because Adam points his finger to Eve. So the Lord doesn't, doesn't excuse Adam, but he went over to Eve next. And so, you know, I'm sure Adam's thinking, man, I dodged a bullet there. You know, he's going to go fuss at Eve now. <laughs> and so, so Eve, Eve's thinking, you putting that on me? You know, you know I'm just, I, you know, I thought it was okay. Because the Bible says she was deceived, right? And so she really thought it was okay. Now, Adam should have intervened and said, no, it's not okay. This is what was said. We're going to go by with what was said. So, so he immediately goes to the woman in verse 13. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent, right? The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. So what did she do? Same thing Adam did, right? It's that guy's fault over there. Uh, and and uh, again, uh, did that work out for her long term? No. Did the Lord excuse her actions because of this? No. So it doesn't matter what you think the reason for your sin is. At the end of the day, it's still your choice. And you've got to accept that because at the end of the day, nobody made you sin, right? Even, even though, uh, who was it, Flip Wilson, right, said the devil made me do it? You know, it's not an, actually a doctrine. It's not a biblical doctrine. It was something that Flip Wilson said, right? Uh, and so it, it's not a biblical doctrine to say, they made me mad. Nobody makes you mad. You chose to get mad, right? Sin, at the end of the day, is a choice, an act of choice that you made. Uh, and, you, and you can wrap it up. You can color it. You can paint it. You can put lipstick on it. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you chose to do it. Amen? Uh, and really, in, uh, in your repentance, whenever uh, the Lord re reveals your sin to you, your repentance, you should never, uh, you should, I, I always look at these examples and say, well, it didn't work out for them to blame somebody else. So it's to your advantage to simply just say, Lord, I sin, I chose to sin, nobody made me do it. Because that's the truth, right? If you try to pull a stunt like Adam and Eve did, uh, it's just, the Lord's going to come back to you. He may go off, hang on, I'll, okay, I'll go deal with so-and-so, right? Now, can other people tempt you to sin? Sure they can. Can they do things that coerce you to sin, to threaten you that you sin? Sure they can. And, you know, in, in some cases, you know, like with the martyrs of t old, old, when they would go and boil in hot oil, you know, you might say that, that, you, that you reject Jesus, but the Lord's going to not count that a sin because, uh, you know, you, you were physically... Uh, tortured into saying something that you didn't believe. Well, that's different than just, you know, uh, eat of the tree. Okay, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll eat of the tree. Uh, and, and then you do, and, and there was no life or death situation. You just did it because, you know, uh, uh, the devil worked on your pride, worked on your, uh, on, your, um, uh, on your ego, and then you fell for it. <clears throat> and so it's to your advantage to, to learn from their mistakes, right, instead of making your own, repeating these same mistakes, learn from their mistakes. And so the Lord went to the serpent. Uh, and so I'm sure when the, when, the, when the Lord went to the serpent, the serpent did this right here and looked and there was nobody else to point to. And so, so he's the end of the food chain. Amen. So he went to, he, the Lord went back to the serpent. So he deal with the serpent. He dealt with the serpent first. And the Lord said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou uh, art cursed above all the cattle. So this is the first time we see the word cursed in the scripture. The, thou art cursed above all the cattle. And above every beast of the field, and, thou shalt, uh, and upon thy belly thou shalt go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So this is the prophecy, verse 15 is really a prophecy of the Lord Jesus, right? That, uh, that the serpent is going to bruise, uh, that the seed of, the, of, the, of Eve, so he didn't say seeds as in many, right? If you go to Paul's, Paul has a big dissertation about this in, in, in Galatians chapter 4. Uh, he, he said, uh, in Galatians chapter 4, he says, he didn't say seed is in many. He said, or seeds plural is in many. He said seed is in one. So the Lord is prophesying about thy seed, specifically talking about the Lord Jesus here. Uh, uh, and so he said, uh, he, that her seed, shall bruise your head, right? So cause pain and agony upon the head of the devil but thou shalt bruise his heel. So you will harm her seed. Well, did, did the devil harm the Lord Jesus? What did the devil do to, to the Lord Jesus? Uh, he, 
caused him to suffer and die a terribly agonizing death on the cross and through the whole, um, uh, through the whole trial there uh, in Jerusalem. And so, yeah, there was pain and agony given to the seed of the woman uh, by bruising his heel, uh, but the Lord bruised his head. Uh, and so the Lord dealt with the, dealt with the, the, um, the serpent first, but he didn't forget about the woman, did he? So Eve pointed to the woman, woman pointed to, or Adam pointed to Eve, Eve pointed to the serpent, the Lord dealt with the serpent first, now he's back to Eve. <clears throat> and he says unto the woman in verse 16, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and, sorrow shall, uh, and in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Uh, and so we're not going to get into all, all of that part of it right there. And after he got done with the woman, then he went back to Adam and, and unto Adam, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. Notice the Lord didn't say, uh, because you hearkened unto the voice of, of the devil. Uh, and so, because the devil really did deceive her, right? The Bible talks uh, in First Timothy that she was deceived, but Adam was not deceived. He just did it because he wanted to, right? And so, that, and so that's what the Lord said, because you have hearkened unto the voice of thy wife uh, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake and sorrow thou shalt eat of it in all the days of thy life. Uh, thorns and thistles, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth and thou shalt eat, uh, eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground for thou, uh, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Uh, and so, so Adam and Eve believed this, right? They believed this prophecy of the Messiah that was to come there, specifically in verse 15. Uh, and so I believe that's what allowed them to enter into uh, the kingdom with the Lord at some point in time. Uh, but this is where sin came into the world, right? This is the first time, the first sin that we see uh, in, uh, in, the, in the scriptures, right? And so what, what is sin? So sin is just missing the mark, right? Uh, it, it's not about the specific thing. It's the fact that the Lord put a mark or put a plan or put a goal. Here's what I want you to do. And you chose as an act of your will to not line up with that mark, not line up with that goal that the Lord gave. So the Lord specifically gave the instruction, eat of every tree except for this tree. And, and so they looked at that and said, we're not going to do that. So they rebelled against the law of God. Uh, well, that's sin, right? Rebelling against the law of God, whatever the law of God is. Now, uh, because of this sin, so uh, because of this infraction or missing the mark with the Lord, now death has entered into the world, right? Death was not there, but the Lord now said before, he never said that eventually, Adam, you're going to return to the dust of the earth. That was never the prophecy of the creation of Adam. Uh, there was no intent that Adam would ever die. But now the Lord said that, that death will come. Uh, why? Did the Lord send death? Well, the Lord didn't create death. He didn't send death. The death came about because of the actions of, of Adam, right? And, and Paul gives us the revelation of that. Uh, for by one man, sin entered into the world and death by that sin. So sin carried death into the world. Well, well how does death work? Well, a, a great way that death works is by bringing sickness and disease into people's lives, right? How many people die of sickness and disease? Well, the vast majority of people in the earth die of sickness and disease, right? Very few people just go, you know... It's 10.30, I think I'll just leave and then just expire, right? That, that rarely happens. Actually, with some of the great men and women of God, over the years, we find stories of them as they approach their time of, of the end of time on the earth. And they'll tell you, you know, the, the story that I heard regarding um, Lester Summerall was he, he told this family, you know, next Tuesday at 10.30, I'm going home to be with the Lord. And they thought, ah, he's old, is he now, you know, what, what does he know, Right. Well, next Tuesday at 1030, he said, whoop, there's Jesus, I'm gone. And just he, his, his body stopped functioning. Well, that's, that's really the ideal way that we should leave this earth. The Lord tells us, hey, your time, uh, you know, your time on the earth has come to an end. Come on home. Well, what time would you like to do that? Well, how about uh, 1 o'clock? Well, that's good, Lord. I'll get to eat lunch with my wife, and then, you know, I'll come home to be with you. Uh, and, you know, that would be the ideal, right? Uh, in fact, when we, when we started healing school back in 2015, uh, one of the folks who were here the very first service said, uh, well, if you don't die of sickness disease, how do you die? Just turn the light off, right? The Bible says to be absent from bodies, be present with the Lord. So uh, he's, the Bible says that, that uh, the body cannot function without the spirit. If 
spirit just leaves and goes home to be with heaven, your body will just stop functioning. It has to have the life of the spirit in it to function successfully. Uh, and so ideally the Christian just says, oh, it's time to go. And you just, you just, your spirit leaves your body. Uh, and then um, you go home to be with the Lord in the realm of the spirit. Now, it was never intended for there to be a separation of the body and the spirit. It was always intended that the body and the spirit remain together for all eternity. Uh, and, and that gets into a whole other discussion about uh, if you go back to Adam and Eve, you know, the Bible talks about how God walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. Uh, there, there was very little distinction between the spirit realm and the natural realm when Adam and Eve was created. Uh, and you can get into some really flaky ideas if you're not careful about those things. But the Lord never intended for there to be such a great gulf between the natural world and the spirit world. The Lord always intended for the natural world and the spirit world to be very close and for us to, to live in both realms at the same time, because we still live in both realms at the same time. You're a spirit, you have a body that lives in the natural realm, uh, and you can contact the realm of the spirit with your spirit. But it's so cloudy today compared to when Adam and Eve was around, you know, we really have to work at it uh, because there's such, there's such competition in the natural realm to keep us in this natural realm. And so I don't want you to get off in some weird mystic, mysticism and, and things like that, but it is something to think about, about how close we should be to the realm of the spirit that we're not today, right? Uh, and so, uh, so, so the, the sin came into the, into the world, uh, and that death came in right behind it because of that sin, and then death started twisting things, right? Death started twisting creation, started twisting DNA, started twisting things to become germs and twisting things to become viruses. And uh, that death started twisting creation. Uh, and it was never intended to be that way, but, but it has been able to do that. And that's one reason why <clears throat> when, when, when the end of time comes, uh, what, what do we get that's new at the end of time? What are the three things that will become brand new? What's the first one? We get a glorified body, right? What's the second one? A new earth, and what's the last one? A new heaven, right? Well, why do those three things become new? Because those are the three things that have been touched by sin. So anything that's been touched by sin has to be made brand new. It cannot be repaired. And so that's one reason why your spirit man, when you get born again, the Bible says you're born again, you're made brand new. So you're not repaired or healed. You know, something about spiritual healing. You're not healed spiritually when you get saved. You become brand new. The Bible says old things have passed away. So, so he has to do away with it. Anything that's touched by sin cannot be redeemed. It cannot be, it cannot be recovered. It has to be made brand new. So we get a brand new spirit now in this earth when we become born again. Someday we will get a brand new body. We don't have one yet. Well, why not? Well, you know, that's in the Lord's timing. Amen. We have the promise of it. We'll know we'll get it. But between now and then, we have this body that is still mortal. The Bible says that we still have a mortal body, which means that the body is subject to death. And so, now I do believe that that spirit in you that's alive on the God that has the life of God in it, of course, uh, Romans 8, 11 says that that spirit in you can quicken your mortal flesh or make alive your mortal flesh. So your spirit man can influence your mortal flesh and cause it to live a, a healthy life all of its days, but there's no promise that it will live forever. Uh, in fact, it cannot live forever because it's been touched by sin. It still has a sin nature in it. Uh, that will carry through, uh, through your natural life here. Uh, and so, so uh, uh, <clears throat> we'll get a, a brand new physical body. We'll get a brand new heaven because, remember, the, the, uh, we see in the book of Job how you know, uh, Satan could go to the throne of God and talk to God. Well, well, how is he even qualified to go there? Because he's been touched by sin, and so he has, he has access back into the, into the, into the throne of heaven uh, but after he got thrown out, remember, he got thrown out, and now, you know, he's not able to go back. But still, uh, remember, Jesus cleansed the heavenly utensils with his blood. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 9 and, and 10, we see that. So it's been cleansed, but still, it, since it was touched by sin, we're going to get a new heaven. And, of course, there's no dispute that the earth has been touched by sin. So we'll get a new earth. You know, th there's nothing that says we're going to get a new uh, uh, planet Jupiter, why? Because it was never touched by sin, right? We're not going to get a new sun. We're not going to get a new uh, Venus or Mars, or we're even not going to get a new Pluto, right? None of those things have been touched by sin. So I'm assuming we'll get a new moon because the moon, mankind has touched the moon, right? 
So probably got to get a new moon, right? Anything man touches, been touched by sin. Now, you know, we don't have any Bible for that, but, you know, we're kind of, you know, shooting from the hip on that one. Uh, but more than likely, we'll have to get a new moon because uh, it's been touched by sin because man has touched it. Amen. Now, uh, one thing that he does say, um, uh, let's see, um, well, what time is it? Oh, well, we're out of time there, so. Well, we'll have, to, uh, we'll have to pick this up next week. So uh, I'll just say this. Uh, this is a statement that he made in his book. He said, it was Satan who caused our parents to sin. Um, and so, you know, to me, that's not really an accurate statement, right? He, he presented the opportunity to sin to our parents, Adam and Eve. They chose to accept that opportunity. Amen. To say that it's, it's, this, it's Satan or the devil or, or the serpent that caused our parents to sin, to me, is not as accurate as it ought to be. Amen? Uh, because if, if Adam had said, no, shut up, go back to your domain, serpent, wherever he came from, then he'd be alive with us today. You know, it's not the temptation that's the issue. It's the accepting of the temptation that's the issue, right? Uh, and so, uh, you know, no, no Christian will ever be held to account from the Lord by being tempted. Uh, it's only the Christian who chooses to accept the temptation and yield to that is the issue. Uh, amen? So we should, we should never, because if you say it was Satan who caused our parents to sin, see, then, then, then the fault is on, on the devil, and uh, we would have no ramifications for committing that sin. But there were ramifications, right? The, the man allowed death to come into it. So, so that, that was just uh, one point that I wanted to bring out that... Uh, Again, we're not going to accept everything that's said just because it's said. We'll, we'll make sure it lines up with what the Word of God says. Amen? Uh, and so uh, it is true that the, de- the devil was the author of death, that the devil was the author of sin. He, he created sin. He figured out how to get sin into the world. But he knew it depended on a man. He couldn't just do it on his own. He had no authority to do it on his own. He had to go and find the authority of the earth and he was a weasel, right? Because he did it through back door, through, through Eve, who was not the authority in the earth, uh, and, and used her to get to the authority and then caused the authority to fail and then um, was able to bring death, uh, sin and death into the world, amen? Uh, and so, uh, and so uh, next week we'll, we'll continue on here about lining all that up then with, uh, with sickness, right? Because the original question was, how did sickness get into the world? Amen? And so we'll pick, this, pick that up next week because if we know how sickness got into the world, then we would surely come to the conclusion that it's not from God. And if sickness is not from God, then it's something we don't have to accept into our lives. Amen? Yeah. And, and really, he makes a great case for that uh, about uh, where, what was the origin of sickness in the, in the world. Uh, and uh, once you make that case, then kind of everything stems from that, from that foundation of that knowledge. Uh, and so it's helpful for us to go and make sure we cover that in good detail. So let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for blessing us, Father. We thank you for uh, your word that gives us a clear understanding of how these things operate and how they came to be. And so, Father, if we know that, then, then we can uh, watch in our own lives to make sure that we don't fail in the same way that our fathers and our forefathers failed, Father. We thank you for the, the knowledge of your word and, and the blessings of your spirit, and we give you praise and honor for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think it's good to go, to go back and, and look at these things, and so uh, I don't think he's had one uh, Greek uh, word yet, has he, up to this point in the book? So I'll look and see what he said in there. What's, what's that? The first thing. Oh, the first, okay, yeah. <laughs> That's Okay. All right. I don't cover a lot of those things in, in my notes there. Uh, and so I just got my notes separate from the book here. So uh, because it's to me, it's more important what he said about those things than, than the fact of, of what particular Greek or Hebrew word is using there. Amen. Uh, and so uh, but uh, I, I think you'll enjoy the book and it's uh, it's uh, uh, good information. Amen. For us to, to build a good foundation of faith. And so well, let's get ready to receive this afternoon's offering. Uh, and um, <clears throat> So let's see, we've got, um, I don't know how many pages we've got. Oh, we've got 80 pages of notes uh, for this book. So I think that's more pages than there are in the book, right? 56 pages of the book and 80 pages of notes, right? So that's about, that's about normal, right? And so, <laughs> but come ahead, Mr. Jared, Mr. Jared, receive the offering. And so, um, <clears throat>
Praise God. Well, the Lord is good. And so, uh, these, of course, these copies of the book, they're free. And, and uh, uh, if I get a chance, I'll put that uh, actually up on our website as a, uh, as a PDF. And so, if you want a digital copy of that, you know, you can download it from our website. Uh, it's open, to, uh, it's uh, past the um, um, copyright date, right? This is in 1930. It's like 75 years from the, from, uh, uh, I think it's from the death of the author, I think, or so, but it's close enough, you know. That's uh, 95 years. I don't know if he lived, I don't know when Dr. McCrossan passed away, but uh, we're going to be okay with it, amen? Uh, what's that? I'm not selling it anyway, right? So we're not making any money on it, so. All right, in this book, you know, of course, we modified a little bit to add uh, some study questions at the end of each section there. So uh, that means, because uh, it is school, right? So you have to have questions and tests because it's school, right? It's a healing school. So, all right, praise God. But it's a good school because no grades. Uh, so y'all be blessed. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.